Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. You may be seated, and if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, and we will continue in our series of being strong. And so you and I have a choice to to be strong in the Lord or to be weak in the Lord. We have a choice to have strong families or weak families. You have a choice to have a strong body or a weak body. But I hope that in the things that last for eternity, you choose to be strong spiritually. And that is a privilege and a responsibility that we all have. And as we have looked at the passage of Scripture uh, in chapter 1, as we've gone through 1 Peter in our series on being strong, We looked at an incredibly strong salvation and and all that we see in chapter 1, that God has given us new birth through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. And so the new birth and the salvation, the position you have before the Lord God Almighty is a gift to you. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. You don't work for it. It is a gift of new birth that you receive. It comes with an inheritance. And this inheritance will never fade. It will never be corrupted, and it is being kept in heaven powerfully for you and will be revealed when you see Jesus coming back in those clouds, and then you will know a lot because you will know Him as He is. And then all of this and knowing this, even in the midst of trials, we can have an unspeakable joy, a joy that wells up inside of us in the midst of trials and tribulations and all the things that are there, you can still experience joy. And this is a salvation that the Old Testament saints greatly anticipated. They wrote about it. God gave them revelation. They had prophecies and they longed to look at it that you and I get to experience at this point in time. And we've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is more valuable than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that he spilt for you willingly. Remember when that happened? It was last week in Jerusalem. And he's really making the high priest mad and the Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes. They're trying to figure out a way to kill him. He makes it known, look, you can't take my life. I lay it down willingly. Then he goes and he's in the upper room and he's giving the last instructions to his disciples. You can read about it in John 13, 14, 15, 16. And at the end of 17 is when he goes up to uh, the the Mount of Olives. And there's where they arrest him. And remember before that, he is sweating drops of what? Blood. He's starting the atonement at that moment. They take him down. He's tried. He's whipped. He's beaten. And he bleeds. Then they nail him to a cross, put a thorn a crown of thorns upon his head, and he says seven famous sayings on the cross, the last of which is, it is finished. He spilt the precious blood of the Lamb of God for you so that you can have all of this new DNA being born again, a gift that changes everything. And now we can be obedient. Before, we are slaves to the old self and sin and soul. But now he gives us new birth, a new life to where we can, we can choose to be obedient and pleasing to God. And wherefore it results in doing one thing, loving one another earnestly with effort for his glory and all based on God's eternal word. So basically I just summarized chapter one. And so chapter one concludes with the idea that it's all based on the word of God and all flesh is like grass and what happens to grass. If you're from San Angelo, 
You know what happens to grass about this time. It just, all the cows are sitting there going, rats. <laughs> there it goes. And there's no more grass. And then, and then the flowers that are so beautiful, they begin to what? Fade. They go away. I mean, beautiful bouquets end up in the trash can every single time, except for what I have in my office. I, have, I don't have any green thumb at all, but I have this, uh, have this really nice cacti, right? Cactus. And I like, I don't know why I like cactus. I just do. It's there. And I will give it just a little bit of water every six months. And, and so what happened is the other day, I put a little bit of water in it, and then I decided to touch it, and I realized it's plastic, it's plastic. Here I was proud of myself because I'd kept this cactus alive in my office for all this time, and it's not even real. That shows you what kind of thing. But if it's real, it'll fade, right? It'll die. But look what it says. The word, listen, the word of God lasts forever. So the things on this earth, the things in the sky will all fade, die, burn, but the Bible will be here forever and ever and ever. Therefore, Verse 1, chapter 2, rid yourself. So what he does in chapter, the first 10 verses of chapter 2 is he gives us four pictures that we participate in. Four pictures or motifs or themes. And the first one is clothing. And he says this, get rid of the bad clothing, which literally says get rid of all wickedness, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander. And so these are things, now that you're born again, you can get rid of the stinky clothes. Did you know your clothes has a smell? Did you know that? Do you know that your clothes uh, literally have an aroma? Your pillow, okay, you got a pillow, right? Most of you? Cal looking at a gate. Here's what's going on here. <laughs> you have a pillow and your pillow smells like you. It does. And you can't smell it. You know why? Because it smells like you. And you're used to it. I'm used to it. Someone says, Daddy, your pillow stinks. No, it doesn't. It smells normal. No, you stink. Your pillow smells like you. And we have an aroma. We have a, an air. Your clothes smell like you. That's how dogs can track you. If you're running, they will track you. That's how you can know. You have an aroma. And the Bible is telling us we have aroma of death. It's because of our old nature and our sinful nature. And it's a clothing that's on us. And he's talking about taking the old off, putting the new on. Anybody here have uh, a clothesline? Anyone? No? Does anybody have a? You have a yes, we have a clothesline. We had like several in the first service, not very many in this service. They had clotheslines. And if you take clothes off of the clothesline, it has a a really nice uh, downy, cottony smell, right? Particularly if you live in a cotton field. It's just, it just smells different. But steel has your aroma within it. It just does. Do you realize that you can have aroma that actually can affect other people for the good or the bad? Did you know, spiritually speaking, the things that we're involved in, the things that are habits in our life, God smells like an aroma? And so whether they're good habits, it's an incredible smell. If it's a bad habit, it's a stench in the nostrils of God. That's what the prophets in the Old Testament would talk about. Said, you offend God in his nostrils because of the stench of your attitude, actions, your speech, your thoughts. Stenches 
stinks in the, mouth, in the nostrils of God. And so this, this point here, this story of ridding ourselves or taking this clothing off is something Paul speaks of in Ephesians. He speaks of it in Galatians, and it's taking on, putting on, taking off, putting on. And it's a new wardrobe. It's the wardrobe of the saint, the wardrobe of the warrior. It's like an armor. It's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the feet shotted with the gospel, the preparation of the gospel, and the sword of the spirit. And it's, it's putting on a new wardrobe of, of righteousness. In fact, 1 Corinthians talks about when we walk in obedience after Jesus, we have the aroma of Christ. And, and in a spiritual sense, people either reek of the world or they reek of Christ. And it has to do with attitude and actions. And so here's what we do. Number one, you get rid of wickedness just wickedness. It's just literally a wicked ill will towards things or people. All deceit. It's, it's being deceptive, deliberately dishonest in deceit, in hypocrisy, which is pretending to be holy or a pretend piety, a fake love, a fake life. It's a, it's a whitewashed tomb as Jesus speaks of it. It's, it's saying one thing, but yet really meaning another, pure hypocrisy. It's acting a role, it's being a poser. That's what it is. And then envy, which envy is just resentful lack of contentness. It's discontent in a resentful way. It's trying to embezzle what other people have and their image and bringing it to yourself. And that's what literally envy is. And then slander, it's saying bad things with a bad heart for a bad intention. And so actually, these are all things that we've all trafficked in to some degree or another. We have used these emotional power plays or these attitudes of the heart in order to manipulate our own feelings or other people's actions. And there are tools that we use as if there's a creepy, slimy guy in the shadows on a street corner that's saying, Psst, come here, you want some of this? Psst, how about some of this? And you take on a little bit of anger or slander or deceit, and you grab from the enemy these different tactics and tools so that we can try to manipulate like a puppeteer manipulates the environment of the puppeteer's life. And it's just, it's just evil. And there's an aroma. And he says this, get rid of it. You say better, uh, a little easier to say than to do. I mean, don't we say that at times? We get stuck in a habit, we get stuck in a rut, we grow certain appetites and desires for things, and then someone says, just snap out of it or just stop it, and you say, it's a lot harder than that. It, it's not so easy to do that. It's not so easy to get rid of the lion that I'm used to or the hypocrisy. You know what? No one's saying it's easy. What we are saying is that Jesus went down the Kindred Valley, came up in Jerusalem, allowed his hands to be hammered onto a cross, bled, tortured, died for you and for me. No one's saying it's easy. What we are saying is it's available to appropriate the power of change through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So get rid of these things. Take these things off and be free. In fact, uh, you, you don't necessarily see it when we baptize because we just give people a t-shirt. But there were times, like when, I was, a, when I, was, I was 15 years old when I was baptized, 
and the church had a robe for me to wear. And so I, I put the robe on, I got baptized, and then I came out and I put new clothes. So the picture, the reason churches do that at times is because it's a symbol and a picture of taking off the old clothes, being washed in the water of the word, and then putting on new clothes. So it's a symbol, not only of salvation, but it's a symbol of growing in Christ. So you and I are to be continually taking off these destructive things and putting on great things. And it's important. Now, let me ask you, since we're talking about, or we were talking about odors and smells, and when I participate in any one of these, wickedness, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and the like, um, then I, I, st- I have a stench before God, but, and, and, and you can't smell your smell, and I can't smell my smell. And so a lot of times, our own sin isn't offensive to us, but it's offensive to others. So how am I to detect when I don't smell so good in God's presence, right? Yeah, thank you. Ask Chris, right? <laughs> She'll tell me. Chris is my wife, by the way. Um, so how do you do that? Actually, you can get familiar with your, other, with your, your friend's failures too. And it becomes natural because, and you usually, tr- we, I mean, face it, we usually choose our friends based upon our culture and morals. And, cult- and friends can take each other downhill, right? If you're not careful. So how do you stop this? How do you, how do you, how, how do you become aware when we're involved in these things, when we can't really smell our own smell? Here's a couple things. Um, well, let's just look at the next one. Like newborn babes, Newborn infants desire the unadulterated spiritual milk that's the word, the truth. You can actually circle verse 2, at least the, the 2, and draw a line up to 24 and 25 of chapter 1, and it's, it's kind of like a continual thought. The word of God stands forever. Don't do this sin, but verse 2, second. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, goes right back to the Word of God. So it's a continual thought, if you will, and he's saying this, you and I, how are we to be aware when we're stinky and we're following into these things? How are we to be aware? Well, if you crave the Word, then the Word of God makes you aware. It's, it's like looking into a mirror that's perfect, and it's the very clear revelation of the heart of God, and when I spend time in the Word, it reveals my sin. And when I'm selfish, when I'm hypocritical or deceitful, or I'm envious or I'm slanderous, the Bible does that for us. And what he's saying here, the second picture, the first being closed, the second being hungering like babes. Like newborn babes, hunger, desire, crave the unadulterated Word of God, spiritual milk so that you may grow by it in your own salvation. So here's this newborn babes. Um, A hungry baby is a healthy baby, right? A hungry baby is a healthy baby. And a hungry baby will do everything it possibly can, which means shriekishly scream, right? In fact, we've had that happen here many times. Babies don't care if there's five, 600 people in the room. They just say, I wanna eat now. Wah! Loud. They don't care. A hungry baby is a healthy baby. A baby that's not hungry is either full or very unhealthy, right? So a Christian that doesn't have a hunger for the Word of God 
is in a state that's not very healthy. If I'm not craving the Word of God and hungering for it like a newborn babe, then there's something about me I I just need to recognize. Mac, listen, you're not craving the Word. You're not hungry for the Word. What's up? What's wrong? And I can go through an inventory of things and go, oh, this is it. Did you know you can create a craving in your heart? You can create a hunger for all kinds of things. We've all created hungers for things that we probably shouldn't have at times. And then we, we marinate in it and mask in it, and it, it doesn't work very well for us. But do you know you can create cravings for things that are good? Isn't it interesting that I, I, some of you have traveled in, among different cultures, and you see the kind of food they eat? You know, I've been in some cultures to where all over the place there's these little carts. The food trucks are only this big, and people stand behind these carts, and they have all kinds of food, uh, worms and crickets and ants and beetles, spiders, and, and then and you eat one because everybody's getting them and they're putting them in baggies and all kinds of soup with different kinds of sea creatures in it and you, they, these baggies and they take it on the subways with them and they eat it and you go, it's gotta be great. And you take one of those worms, you put it in your mouth and you go, why did I do this? <laughs> this is crazy. All, I mean, you're thinking these thousands of people cannot be wrong, but they actually were, every one of them. <laughs> I remember being in India and there was a potluck, which by the way, that's where faith comes in, at a potluck. <laughs> so I'm at this potluck. We had just got through teaching at a, at a training center, and they had all kinds of incredible food. Indian food is some of the greatest food in the world, and everybody was getting these green beans, so I got one, and I threw it in my mouth, and I discovered it wasn't a green bean. It was a pepper from the place of Hades, deep down far. <laughs> and my mouth uh, just erupted like a volcano, and it was incredibly painful. I mean, I, I, can eat, I can eat jalapenos, I can eat some peppers. I don't know what kind of pepper this was, but it was, and then everybody's looking at me, you know, like, you know. So I, I, I tried to be polite. I started getting sick, not, not to my stomach. I mean, I started getting very feverish. I started, I started feeling really, really bad. And the guy who was my guide, I said, I, I need to go. I'm not feeling good. And so I went home. Well, to the hotel, if you could call it that. And there I was in bed, and I I was shivering. I I don't know what happened, but something happened to me. But these other people were eating it like nothing. I couldn't. How could you develop a craving for that? I don't know, but they did. You can grow a craving for things. Since you can choose what you grow a craving for, why don't you grow a craving for the right things? Why don't you silence the cravings that lead to destruction in your own life? Just silence them. And here's how you do it. You develop a craving for the Word of God that is eternal. And here's what he says. He says, do it like a newborn babe who loves this, who's healthy and goes after it. And he calls it the unadulterated spiritual milk of the Word. Unadulterated means uh, not deceitful. So deceit in verse 1 is the same word here in verse 2, except there's an A put in front of it. It's, it's Duran, which means deceitful, and it calls the, the Word of God Adoran, which means anytime you put an A in Greek, the, 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 the alpha in front of a word, it negates it. So Gnostic, which means no, agnostic is, means you don't know. So here it is, 
in order, here you are struggling with the clothing of deceit in verse 1, and so he says in verse 2, go to what has no deceit in it whatsoever. Like the Word of God is the pattern, and as you begin to read the Word of God, it begins to reprogram, reboot my operating system to where now I know what truth is, now I know what love is, now I know what happiness and joy It's like saying the Bible is the antithesis to all the things that are evil and bad. So it goes like this. How do you begin to hear the voice of God for yourself and your own heart? Just start reading a lot of scripture. And what sounds like scripture is probably God, is God actually. And what doesn't sound like scripture is not God. It's not his ways. So here's how we, we, we crave the milk of the word, and it's not anything like verse 1, all those sins in verse 1, it's completely different, and you are to crave it, crave it, and when you do, God is pleased. If you don't, there are some problems. There really are. So reading in, first, in Hebrews chapter 5, listen to this. We have a great deal to say about this. So the author of Hebrews is laying down some incredible doctrine, some truths to where you read the book of Hebrews, you're like, wow, I didn't know that. I, golly, that's incredible. And then the author of Hebrews says, and that's nothing. I could be sharing with you some unbelievable truth, but watch what he says. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses, listen to the way he says it, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. It's really interesting what he says here. He's writing to a group of people, says, man, I, even though he writes some heavy doctrine in Hebrews, he says, this is nothing compared to what I'd like to say to you, but you can't handle it because you've been lazy, you've been distracted. Remember all those conferences that were available for you to go to? They're only like once every six months. You didn't even go. Remember when, remember when the prophet came through town and they were unrolling the scroll and they're reading it? You didn't even show up. Why? I don't know. A knock's in the ditch? I don't know, but you didn't do it. You had all this available, but you were too lazy, distracted, and it's costing them something. See, God was wanting to speak in some very deep terms that would radically change their life and they didn't appropriate what they already knew. It's kind of like saying the Word of God is being taught precept upon precept upon precept, truth upon truth upon truth. It's like building this incredible, glorious structure of a system of thought that if you don't dedicate yourself to the basic things and having a craving for the Word of God, then you'll never really know these great things. And you know, here's what I think in my life. I'm thinking, man, I've struggled in areas of my life and um, I have a, I think I, have a, I think I have a really good marriage. Thank, thankful to the one I married. Because uh, if all up to me, it probably wouldn't be so great. But imagine if I knew more, how fantastic it would be. As if I dedicated myself to what the Word of God says. I mean, imagine 
these other areas of my life that if I knew more and I applied more and I wasn't so distracted, how much better life would be in every area, in, in work, in community, in personal life, in personal thought. Here's what God is saying to you right now. Listen, he's saying as we begin to apply ourselves in these spiritual areas, God begins to lift you up and he gives you understanding. Do you know there was a time when people used to really seek wisdom? They used to seek it like crazy. They'd go visit people and they would just ask them questions. People would uh, take caravans from south in Africa, come on up to speak to Solomon and just say, we want to talk to you. Just talk. How do you do this? Why do you do this? And just seeking wisdom. And it's all right here. It's wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Without seeking wisdom, you become slow in your understanding. And there are truths that are being held back from you because of the precept upon precept upon precept. That's what he's saying here. And there's many, many other passages that speak of this. So the point here is that you and I should crave the unadulterated Word of God like a baby craves after milk. Man, I hope, hope that your appetite. How can you train your appetite? Man, get in the Word of God and just watch God move. Get into a Bible study. Get into a one-on-one, one-on-few relationship. Come consistently to church and hear the Word of God being preached and just see how God moves. And then he tops it all off by saying, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Since you know. I mean, let me ask you something. Is there a time in your life where God just reached down and struck an emotional chord in you? Where he just whispered something within your heart, probably from the Word of God, and it just rang true. It just reverberated within your soul. And you're like, yes. Now, it could be that there's been a lot of hard times and bad times and a lot of abandonment and a lot of abuse, and, and it may be that it came from somebody close to you and you're having a hard time seeing God's goodness and that He really tastes good and He's there for you because you're comparing it to all the bad things that have happened in this world, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't negate God's love for you because of what people have done in a bad way or circumstances have prevailed in your life, it doesn't mean that God's love is not effectual and perfect and pointed towards you. And even now he's saying, listen, I have so much to say and I want to draw you to myself. I've done all that I can do. It's now your turn to move. And he's waiting. And many, if not all, you have responded and the Lord has generally touched you in a special way. And you're like, that's good. And the Lord is saying, that ain't nothing. Continue to walk in obedience. Crave the Word of God and watch as He begins to bring grace upon grace upon grace. And He begins to feel you more and more. And yes, you go through trials, but yet you're more victorious. And your highs are higher than they've ever been. And your lows aren't as low as they have been. And you keep moving closer to the Lord, higher and higher, till one day when He sees you face to face, when He splits the eastern sky, and He says, that's the way He did it right. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. And you're like high-fiving everybody you see. And you said, he did it for me. He did it. Have you tasted and seen? If you have, crave the word. Get rid of these things and watch what he says. But as coming to him as a living stone, that's you, you're the living stone, Rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God. 
you yourself as living stones, there you are, are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ for the scripture stands. Here's an Old Testament prophecy. Look, I lay a stone in Zion. Zion is Jerusalem, right? It's the people of God. It's, it's, it's a figurative language for the very presence and being in the citizenship of his kingdom. That's what Zion refers to. So look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen valuable cornerstone. That's Jesus. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So he takes a lesson from building, from Isaiah. And you go to Israel now and you can see some places that were built, big buildings. And they put in buildings that are still here today, 2,000 years old. You know what? There's hardly a place in America, a building that's over 200 years old. You know that? Not one in Texas, I don't think. Can you imagine buildings that are 1,500, 2,000 years old and still standing, and they all start with one stone. It's called a cornerstone. And they build a wall this way, they build a wall that way, and then they begin to frame it up, and it all is pivoting, it all is resting upon a cornerstone that is hewn out of granite, and it stands there where everything is laid and rest upon. And he's saying, Jesus is the cornerstone, and you are the living stones that Jesus picks out that he calls you one by one by one, and he places you and me against the cornerstone, and we, because of the mortar and the fabric of love and community and fellowship, we make this incredible edifice of a temple. So there was a tabernacle in the Old Testament that turned into a temple that ultimately was destroyed. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit comes inside of every single heart, and we now, in jars of clay, encapsule the very presence of God. It's Jesus Christ that lives inside of you and inside of me, and together we make up a building, a spiritual building, a church. This building is called a church, but it's not. You followers of Jesus, you and I make up the church. We would be a church whether we're in this building or we're out under a bridge or on a mountaintop, we are the church. And you've got to see this picture in order to grow that you've been placed, picked out, changed, put side by side with one another. So number one, we all rest on the cornerstone. We, we trust Jesus with our eternal life. Have you ever trusted someone with your life? Sure you have. You went to a doctor, doctor gave you a prescription, and he gave you a little pill. It may be white, it may be blue, it may be green, it may be red, I don't know. And you took it. You don't know what's in it. Somebody subscribed it to you, prescribed it to you, and you threw it in your mouth, choked it down, and swallowed it, and you're waiting to see what happens next, right? You put your life in the hands of a doctor, maybe a surgeon. You don't know what happened. You were asleep, right? You put your life in their hands. Maybe you, one time you jumped out of an airplane, and you're floating down with a parachute. Do you think it's just a bed sheet? No. You put your whole trust in that parachute, to save you from crashing, from it's not the fall that kills you, it's just the sudden stop, right? And it's that, that parachute that keeps you from doing it. In fact, you right now, you have your health resting to some degree in a chair that we bought because it was the cheapest chair we could find, <laughs> right? And you're sitting in it, and other people have sat in it. You total the, the total tonnage that's been in your chair, it's a lot of weight that's been in your chair. Who knows? but you put your trust in that chair. 
So that's what we do with Christ. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only to give us a new life now, but also to save us for all eternity. And so we rest upon Jesus. But not only do we rest upon Jesus, we rely upon one another as living stones. So here's where we're going here. Here's where Peter is going. He's saying, man, God has redeemed you, has given you new birth, you have an inheritance. It's all based upon the Word of God. Rid yourself of all these sinful things. Put on the newness. Desire the Word of God. Here's why. Jesus is the cornerstone, and you as living stones who are being polished, you make a up a beautiful edifice that gives praise to God and a proclamation to the world, those two things. That's what we do as a church. Now, are we strong or are we weak? Depends on what you're craving. Not to be dramatic, but if we're going to be a strong church, it's because you're strong. No, no, I've been told and you've been told that everything rises and falls on leaders. That's not true. A lot of things rise and falls on leaders, but not everything. In fact, when we're talking in this context about us as a church, he's talking about how serious we are about putting these, the stinky stuff off, putting the good things on, craving for the Word, and relying upon the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we get strong. It's up to you and me to be individually strong, and here's why we can do it. He says, because we are a priesthood. Look, I mean, he says it. A spiritual sacrifice, a, for you're a spiritual house, verse four, verse five, a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer. We make up a priesthood. There's not such a thing, according to the New Testament, as one individual being a priest. There's not. The Bible tells us that there were priests in the Old Testament to foreshadow the priesthood of the believers now. And that, there's no such thing as a professional holy man that can intercede on your behalf before God so that you can be saved. I can't do that for you. Your mom can't do that for you. Your, your, your uncle that's a pastor can't do that for you. Your kids can't do that for you. You alone approach God. You alone crave the word. You alone intercede for others. You alone come into the presence of God. You can't give that to someone else. No one is worthy. I can't do that. I'm not worthy. The only one who can do that is the mediator. Second Timothy says there's only one mediator between God and man. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one worthy. He's the one that can bring you into the presence of God. And he, his blood covers you so that you're not, your sin has been covered and cleansed. And then he gives you righteousness and you can come into the presence of God. My friend, listen to me. You are a priest before God. We make up a holy priesthood. It's the priesthood of the believers. It's a beautiful teaching in the New Testament. You don't need, don't, don't give it to someone else. I remember my son one time, my daughter, who was born a mom, basically she was already telling her brothers what to do and she was usually right take out the tr- trash, clean the table, brush your teeth, go to bed. I mean, it was incredible. She was like, it's like one of these things you buy, a robot, makes it happen. <clears throat> and I remember one time she told her brother, she said, you need to take out the trash. And he looks at me and he says, he said, <laughs> he said why do I have to take out the trash? And I said, well, because she told you to. <laughs> and he said, and he's taking out the trash. And he said, I said, because she has authority. That's why, that's why you're doing it. She has authority. And he said, well, who gave her the authority? And I said, you did. Every time you obey what she says. 
And he says, I don't have to obey her. And I'm like, here it goes. (laughs) No, you don't have to obey her. Dropped the trash, (laughs) went to the bedroom. And she screamed at him, you need to do this. He said, you're not my authority. Do you know that you sometimes give people authority that have no right, no privilege, no way, can't help you, no how, no way. Jesus is the one you turn to. No man, woman, or child. No angel. I don't care if this person said, I had a dream or I got a visitation from an angel. Or all of a sudden, I, I found, these, I found these, these golden tablets and I found these miraculous spectacles and now I can read an unknown language. Now you need, no, 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 no. You, yourself, alone, go to the Lord God Almighty. And then now, as a, and you, you plead the blood of Jesus and He saves you. And then you as a Christian, you and I, we are priests and priestesses, if you will, before the Lord. They're, listen, they're, we're all the same. We don't believe in a difference between laity and clergy. That was developed in the Dark Ages. What the Bible teaches is we are all saints. We are all born again. We all have a privilege And we all have a responsibility before God individually to get rid of the things that entangle us, to crave the word of God, to rely upon the stone and and to love the other living stones around us. And then as a priest and priestess before God, we go and do our responsibilities, confessing our sins, praying for one another, loving one another, sharing the gospel, praising God, proclaiming his good news. And we make up the body of Christ. It is the goal of Jesus' death to raise dead, dark people into a living bride. It is the reason Jesus is coming back again to receive the bride and we will experience an eternity as the body of Christ, as the redeemed of all the ages before him. So being a part of a church is just not a name on a roll. It is a spiritual, significant, welding together, molding into a spiritual house. And I recommend Glen Meadows Baptist Church that we be strong with all that we have. You can do that. We're here to help you in any way and every way. Rely upon the good teachers in our church. Rely upon the servants. Become one of these and serve the Lord gladly. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glenmeadows Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org. 